0: Welcome back. This is episode number 11 of the Two Hats podcast, a community correction, community supervision, probation, parole, pretrial services podcast. I'm your host, Chris, the tactical probation officer, and this is my wonderful co-host.
1: It's Brittany, your favorite PO.
0: And we have another great interview for you guys today. We are interviewing Matt, and we're going to go ahead and jump right into that episode. Matt is a adult probation officer, I believe. Yep, adult. adult. Okay, adult probation officer in Warren County, Pennsylvania. Uh, we were actually just chatting before the um before the uh, podcast started because you know I was a, a juvenile probation officer in Westmoreland County, in Pennsylvania, which is uh, right below Pittsburgh, and he's a adult officer up in uh, Warren County, which is uh up by Erie County, which is out there by the Great Lakes, close to um, New York. So we do have a little bit of a knowledge of uh, how everything works up there in PA. So uh, Matt, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people.
2: Hey everyone. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Um, All right, Matt. The first question we ask is on the two hat scale with one being a social worker and 10 being a law enforcement officer, like a cop or deputy sheriff, where do you feel your department lands on the two hat scales between one and 10?
2: Uh, I'd say we're probably right around a five or a six. So kind of the happy medium between both.
0: That's where most departments usually fall is right there in the happy medium. Um, and I think that's, that's a good thing for most departments.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, each officer kind of runs their caseloads, obviously, a little bit differently. So some people are more to one side or the other. Um, but, yeah, I would say for just a general – for the whole department, yeah, we're probably around a around a five or a six.
0: Where, where does a mat fall on the two hat scale?
2: I'm probably more the, I'd say probably an eight or seven or eight, somewhere around that side.
0: Okay, um, a little bit more law enforcement end.
2: Yeah, definitely the, the parts that interest me most and what I enjoy doing is more so the law enforcement side than the uh, social worker side. Um, but I, I like doing both, so. Um, I'm pretty flexible. I can kind of do whatever whatever hat needs to be put on. I can go between the two. <laughs> That's good,
0: Britt.
1: Um, can y'all hear me?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, Matt, what made you decide to want to get into this profession?
2: So, uh, probation parole is kind of an accident. Growing up, I have a bunch of family members and that that are in law enforcement, on like police um, mm-hmm. side of things. Um, and I graduated from Mercyhurst University. So when I graduated, um, the person that I was dating at the time actually is from here in Warren um, and moved down here with her. Um, and we were just actually in a store one day and talking to a, a sale associate. And he mentioned um, that he had used to do the uh, internships and stuff like that between Mercyhurst and the adult probation department. And he had since retired, um, but mentioned that they had an opening with the department, um, suggested that i apply. And um, I would taken a class at Mercyhurst about probation and parole, um, but I'd never really thought about that as a career or anything. My goal is always to be some sort of police officer or state police or something like that. Um, so I actually ended up applying, and this is pretty much the first, like I guess, adult job that I had after um, getting out of college. So <laughs> kind of a, a happy accident falling into, uh, into the job here.
0: Wow, that is actually a very unique pathway to get into probation. I'm at the store talking to a guy, and he mentioned something to me. Okay, that's funny.
2: Yeah, it was Um, so random, and it it ended up being one of my professors, too, at Mercyhurst, knows my chief as well. Um, So he wrote me a letter of recommendation. And, um, yeah, it was just kind of weird how everything kind of fell into line and put me here.
0: I I always wondered, um, especially when we interviewed Kevin, um, where he was, you know, he was in the military and mm-hmm. he was a pastor. and He worked a whole bunch of different jobs. One of our, um, I think, that was episode nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when you have someone that comes in with all this life experience, then you have you yourself, where you kind of got into this job kind of right out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think? Do you think there's a benefit or disadvantage, either one of those, having life experience before getting into the field, or just kind of getting into it right out of college?
2: I, that's a tough one. I mean, I think it definitely helps. Um, I know with Kevin, he had said he was like a military police um, before he got into it. So I think bringing that stuff in definitely helps. Um, But on the other side, I remember interviewing um, both with my chief and deputy chief at the time. They had said they kind of liked that I didn't have any prior knowledge because they could mold me to the way that they wanted me molded. Um, So I, I think there's benefits to both.
0: I, I definitely feel that. I mean, personally, I mean, I got it. Me see. I worked in a banking. So that's right out of college. Um, Then I went into being a counselor working with juvenile delinquents before I got to probation. So I feel like I, I had some life experiences. Um, I think, you know, especially doing the banking stuff, working like customer service, mm-hmm. you really learn a lot about how to like talk to people. Right. Kind of how, especially doing, especially working on the sales side of banking, kind of like, how to get people where you want them to get to. Um, I definitely feel that that has paid off and has helped me when it comes to, um, you know, working with the offenders, um, you know, especially tying it into motivational interviewing and other evidence-based practices. Uh, What about you, Brittany? What do you think? Do you think um, this is a job you should get into right out of college or you should have some life experience first?
1: Mm, I kind of agree with Matt. I feel like either way is good. I didn't have any experience with, criminal justice at all like i come from a customer service background so to speak and then also from the health profession so like what you said your banking experience working with people i think any customer service experience will be relatively important to start doing this job even if you've never been in criminal justice before
0: i'll definitely agree with that all right so matt uh before we get more into um specifics about the job tell us a little bit about you as a person
2: Oh, man um i mean i guess outside of probation parole um i played hockey growing up so um played hockey through high school played hockey through college um so like coaching i'm um, I, I was a goalie um for hockey so uh, still play hockey on the weekends um goalie coaching is kind of like a side passion of mine um so i think i know you kind of talked about this in a few other episodes but having that like side passion to pursue to kind of get your mind off of working probation parole and just relaxing um, is always something important to have so um, sports are probably my outside of work and criminal justice works or uh, sports and that are my other passion.
0: Yes definitely very important in this job as stressful as it is and we we know this um, you have to have a healthy outlet um, so that's definitely good. All right so you mentioned that you do adult uh, adult probation and parole Um, now in Pennsylvania it's a little different because I believe so. The county I worked in, we had the, the juvenile probation office was set was a separate entity than the adult pro, adult probation and parole office. And then there's also state parole, which deals with people coming out of prison. Now, on the county level, the adult probation and parole office, the parole is for people that uh, served jail time, not prison time. Correct.
2: Correct. Yep, that's how we are. So we have the We're probation and parole, so we get the people that are sentenced to probation in lieu of jail, and then we also have the parole caseload that does some sort of county jail time and then um, gets released after that as well.
0: Yeah, but that's definitely different than state parole, which does with people getting uh, released out of prison.
2: Yeah, Um, correct. Yeah, so state parole would be the people getting out of state prison.
0: Yes. And uh, man, one of my favorite things working with juveniles, working with state parole officers because they... And PA, they go hard. <laughs> they go hard, and uh, if, <laughs> they're hard to get into. Because I tried to get in. Have you ever? Have
2: you ever taken their exam to get into state parole? I did when I first. I was probably here maybe a couple months, um, and I applied for it, but I never heard back or anything um, like that. So yeah, I, I didn't get um, selected after taking the test either. So I got an 89 on the test. So it's 89. I got 89 out of 100, which is really pretty good, right?
0: Now yeah. would you agree would you agree that state protest is like a college psych uh, final exam.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Right
0: a lot a lot a lot of psychological stuff in there and I had been so removed from college that I was just like I didn't think I really did that good. I was surprised I got
1: 89.
0: Mm-hmm. Um because I was like a lot of that stuff I just didn't remember. Really? I mean a lot of it. Um but then the thing about state parole is that they have the veterans preference. Mm-hmm. So if you and a vet get the same, the same score, they get a 10 point bump. So right. the first, so he got an nine, I got an eighty nine. Guess what? He got a 99.
2: Right. I, um, it's crazy. I had to deal with the same thing when I first got out of um, geez, when I was first graduating from Mercyhurst, I took a couple police tests um, and I did the police test for New York state. Um, and I think I got like a 98 on the test. Um, and I didn't hear back from them till last year. Um, so it was like a five-year gap or four-year gap from not hearing from them. And I got a letter in the mail like, hey, here's your date to come down and do physical testing and stuff like that. And now it's been four or five years and I'm already doing this. So I ended up not taking that opportunity. But yeah, the the veterans bump definitely definitely helps if you can get it. Yeah.
0: So to the, for, our, for our listeners, um, definitely... Keep that in mind and definitely do your research where you're applying for um, whichever department that you want. You know, see, make sure you do, do your googles, find out what the requirements are. Um, you know, some some departments require tests. Some don't. Some require you to write an essay. Some don't. Um, and definitely find out about those vet, veteran preferences. You are a veteran. Hey, there you go. Um, it's, it's in your benefit. If you're not, just keep that in mind that. Um, you're going to have to score a lot higher <laughs> on the test in order to, uh, you know, overcome that uh, personal has that 10 point bump. And I guess, you know, you get a hundred on the test, that veteran got not got 110. So I don't know how you beat that,
1: yeah. um,
0: but, but that's definitely something to keep in mind. All right, Matt. So me and you have something in common and I'm really excited to talk about this. We both do drug treatment court. Yes. Finally, I've met another drug treatment court officer. <laughs> I swear, everybody that follows us is either a lot officer, or they do sex offenders, or they mm-hmm. do domestic violence, um, or they do uh, you know fugitive apprehension, a scoundrel unit. Yeah. So it's good to have another drug court officer here. Yeah. Uh, how'd you how you how'd you get that position?
2: Um, just kind of like I got hired here randomly. So when I got hired, I was here maybe five months. I've been here six and a half years now. Um, But I was here maybe five months and the officer that had been running the treatment court program um, quit and got a different job and moved out of state. Um, And he had actually just gotten back from the basic uh, academy for probation and parole that you go through. Um, So while he was at basic, I kind of covered treatment court for him. So my chief was just kind of like, well, you kind of already know what you're doing. Do you want to just take over the position um, of being probation parole um, or of being the treatment court supervisor? So I ended up taking that and doing that so kind of a a happy accident how do you like it i like it a lot so i wasn't sure about it when i first took over um i i wouldn't want to do anything different i absolutely love working with everyone in treatment court
0: i agree with you matt um i love drug treatment court i think it's the best position that i we have here in my county um i don't think i don't think there's any other position i would want they offered me gang unit Hmm. um and I really did consider it for a while, but I ended up turning it down because I didn't want to change office building because we have three offices in my county and I'm at the courthouse. And I didn't want to change from being at the courthouse because I mean, the courthouse just, it's just cushy. <laughs> I mean, you have the clerks are there. If you got to do any kind of filing, any kind of paperwork, you don't have to travel from the one office to the courthouse to do stuff. Everything is right there. Um, I really didn't want to change that, even though I really did consider the gang unit, Um But then drug court opened up, I put in for that, and I got picked, and I got to say it's probably the best thing ever. So how how does your drug court – tell us about your drug court and how it runs.
2: Uh, So we're a hybrid court, so we have offenders who are um, DUI as well as drug offenses. Mm -hmm. Um, So our program takes about 18 months to two years to complete um once you get into treatment court phase we have so we have five different phases that you go through. Yep. Yep. Um phase one and phase two are pretty much the same. Um they meet with me twice a week, they're drug tested randomly twice a week. Um they come and meet with the judge for like a weekly court review uh once a week. Um and then they obviously have their drug and alcohol counseling, um, whatever other programs that they might have to do. Um and then that's a 20-week each phase, phase one and two are both 20 weeks. Um, Once they get to phase three, it's 15 weeks. Um, At that point, stuff starts to kind of back down a little bit. So they're meeting with me once a week, um, still meet with the judge weekly for their court review, um, have community service to do. um, And then once you get to phase four, um, you're still once a week, um, still meeting with me once a week. So phase three and four are kind of the same. Um, and then once you get through that, you have an aftercare, which is six months, where you meet with me once a month, you meet with um, the judge once a month, and drug testing at that point down to once a month randomly.
0: How, how long is your drug court program?
2: It's about 18 months to two years to complete. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's a long program. I know some other counties, their programs are like a year, um, but ours are, are just about two years to complete. Okay.
1: Does drug court accept um, marijuana? Cases like people, oh, okay. yes.
0: Hmm. Um, so it would have to be because uh, they, they do a substance abuse assessment. They'll do like an intake for drug court, and it depends on like their uh, the severity of their levels of how how much they use. Like I mean, if you have somebody that smokes you know one blunt every month, they're not going to meet criteria for um for drug treatment court. Um, You know, but you have somebody that's, you know, a lot of people say it's hard to be addicted to marijuana. Yes, yes it is. You you can definitely be addicted to it. Um, I definitely have clients that are addicted to it, and it's just how they cope with life. And, you know, if you catch them sober, that's kind of like a a rare thing. Um, But like I said, it it depends on, you know, where they fall, like how severe their uh, addiction really is.
1: Now, So, so for people who get into drug court, do they have to have residential treatment already? Like in their past, have they have, do they have to have gone through that in order to qualify for drug court or it doesn't matter?
2: So for our County, our treatment court is kind of supposed to be the last stop on the County line before going to state prison. So everyone in our treatment court program, if they wouldn't have gotten into treatment court would have been going to state prison. Um, So that's one of the requirements. You have to have a sentence where you have obviously at least the two years to complete the program, um, have some sort of failed treatment in the past. So, um some sort of it doesn't have to be residential it could have been outpatient services or something like that but some sort of failed um prior treatment event uh treatment history and then um there are certain offenses that'll keep you out so we don't accept um people who are drug dealers so no PWID offenses um no sex offenses no um assaultive of, uh, offenses and stuff like that so there are some things that will keep you out um but if it's like a dui or um something where as long as the drug uses drug or alcohol use is the basis kind of behind that conduct then then you know we let you in
0: so I, see that's why i love doing these podcasts is this is it's amazing just hearing how even though we both do drug court like our, the programs are while they're kind of the same and try to get towards the same goal just how they're set up are totally different so where I'm at, um, we do have a five phases, which I think is probably a national standard. I think you have to have five phases. I think each phases are kind of similar. But in terms of how the supervision works, like with our department, the we don't we don't supervise them based on what their drug court um, levels are. We base them we supervise them based on what their risk levels are, which is the same risk levels that anybody that's on probation goes through. So you know if they're you know a moderate risk, then we're going to have to see them once a month. Um, whether in drug court or not. But by the nature of drug court, we do end up seeing even those kind of offenders a lot more. Um, there's more pop-ups. There's just more, uh, they're needier. So mm-hmm. There's always something going on with them and in their lives that require us, you know, making arrangements for extra face-to-face contacts, extra home visits, um, you know. Um, just And then then we do have people that do score high on our, our risk needs assessment, um, so they have to be seen. Um, they have to be seen at least once a month, but they have to uh, for an office appointment. But then we have to see them at least twice a month for uh, home contacts. Um, and then, of course, then there's also we also have people that get are flagged as high risk, and that's also based off the risk needs assessment. So they can be high, and then still, and then and then pop up for a higher risk. And normally, one of the main things we do at high risk is we increase the amount of times they have to report to us. So, I mean, I can see one offender four to five times a month, which kind of feels like I'm seeing them once a week. Um, but it, for someone that's a lower risk, it might not be as much. It might just be two or three times. Um,
1: how do you how do you build confidence to be a drug court officer, knowing that you've never even been addicted to drugs before? How can you be confident enough to help somebody through something like that?
2: Uh, man, that's a good question. <laughs> I think um, it it really depends on your personality. Like, I'm pretty empathetic um, and can kind of relate to people and talk to people real easy. So, um, for me, it's easy kind of, even though I've never been addicted, um, to kind of understand where they've where they've been and what they've been through. Um, and we go through a ton of training um, for treatment court and that. We have our own special um, treatment court conference that we go to for the state each year. Um, there's a certain number of hours of training that you have to do for treatment court um, throughout the year as well, in addition to going to stuff like that. So there's definitely a lot of trainings that we go through that help um, to understand that better. Um, and even just aside from treatment court, um, that stuff helps with the general caseload that I have where um I mean, a lot of people on probation are there for drugs, whether they're in treatment court or not drugs or alcohol so um it kind of crosses over between the the two caseloads that I have. Do you have um, any
1: relatives that were ever addicted to drugs or alcohol?
2: I don't man, so never...
1: you seem kind of far removed. What about you chris i have um, i don't have um I don't think I have
0: a like a my uh, I have an uncle that lives in Jamaica that's addicted, but I don't really have much contact with him. So I can't really like say that, you know, he's had an effect on me or I learned something from his addiction, but I did work as a um, juvenile drug and alcohol counselor for three years. So I have that, I have that background um, as a drug and alcohol counselor, really understanding how addiction works. And I feel that was a main factor in why I was able to get this position is that think they saw that, Hey, well, you know, he has experience working with uh, drug addicted individuals on the counselor level. So we'll just, you know, take that, use that to our advantage and then bring it over to the probation side. And I think it works because I'm able to really reinforce what they're learning in their treatment. Um, so Henry, I got a question for you, Matt, how has COVID really affected drug court? Um, I'll tell you right now with us, most of the, uh, the, the individual substance abuse counseling is not, it's not virtual where they were, everything was in person, now a lot of it is virtual. And I think that's a hard hard adjustment for a lot of our uh, older clients that have been in the program for a while. Um, In addition, we just did our first all virtual drug court session um, about two about last week, we we did an all virtual one. Before that, um, when COVID first hit, we were doing um, some people in person, some people virtual, just because they were eliminating them in the courtroom. Um, but we just did our all virtual one and that was, that was a different experience doing all court virtually. It's, it's different. It's definitely something that you gotta get, gotta get used to. Um, so how, how has, how has the RONA affected your, um, your drug court and your ability to supervise?
2: It's been interesting. So when everything first kind of shut down last March, Warren County really didn't have any cases. Um, I, we're at like three or four cases. We are single digit cases for the longest time. Um, you, guys
0: are, you guys are pretty rural, right?
2: Yeah, we're, we're real rural. <laughs> um, so all the, our big explosion of cases just happened in the past month and two months. Um, so back in March when everything shut down, we kind of ran like a skeleton crew. Um, so we had like one or two officers, in the office a day and we'd rotate who came in Um, the days that you weren't scheduled to be in the office, then you would work from home and make your contacts with everyone via phone. Um, So you'd still, we, we still got paid like normal, still had our 40 hours of of work. We just did it from home doing phone contacts and stuff like that. Um, So when that happened, we really, everything kind of stayed the same. Um, We still had court, um, but at that point we moved it virtual. So everything was over Skype Um, so I would go through and assign each person different times through the day to come in and Skype and talk to the judge and and do it that way. Um, drug tests and drug patches and all that stuff, we still had them come into the office and test like normal. So none of that stuff changed. Um, at that point in the, um, pandemic, our drug and alcohol did not shut down. So they still had, um, all their counseling and everything like normal, um, with our explosion in the cases the past couple months. Um, we've had to go back to doing treatment court over zoom. Um, our one provider for drug and alcohol actually shut down and they uh, they're meeting with people over the phone. They're not um, having IOP and stuff like that in person. So that's been kind of um, weird to have everyone go from a higher level of treatment, just to meeting over the phone um, until that starts back up. But um, really besides doing stuff uh, the court hearings and that over, over Skype, it really hasn't changed all that much.
0: Do you do you feel have you experienced a rise in relapses based on that change over from in-person treatment to more virtual treatment? I
2: I thought it would be a lot more for our treatment core people, but so far it hasn't been been all that bad. Um, I definitely have had people say that they prefer in-person counseling um, and in-person like A or any meetings. Um, So I know people have definitely Mm -hmm. felt that difference, but as far as more relapses, I mean, I, it's kind of stayed steady the whole time. I wouldn't say that it's gone higher or lower.
0: Okay. Um, So one of the phenomenons that I've noticed with drug treatment court, and maybe I'm interested to see if it's the same thing for you, what I realized with drug treatment court clients, they're either in compliance or the abscond. There's nothing in between, Right. Either they're going to work the program and do what they have. Yeah, they might have a couple of slip ups here, relapse here, uh, miss a class here and there. But generally, they're in compliance with the program overall. Because, you know, with treatment, we understand relapse is a part of recovery. Um, you, know, you might get a sanction. You might get, you know, slap on the wrist uh, or something like that. But overall, you know, they're in compliance. And then on the other end, they just take off. There's, there's just there's nothing in between It's either compliance or abscond. Is that the same thing for you? Have you noticed the same thing?
2: Yeah. So either they're, they're doing awesome and everything's going super smoother. We don't have a ton of people abscond, but they'll just blow up the drug test cup and be positive for everything and stop going to treatment and they'll still come in and report, um, but they just won't go to treatment. They won't do all the things that they're supposed to do. Um, and then that, at that point, they just kind of earn themselves a trip to jail, but yeah, it's definitely either they they're doing awesome or then it, for whatever reason, just implodes and they kind of self-destruct. You
0: guys, you, they see their judge every, you say every week?
2: Yeah. For phase, uh, for phase one and two, it's every week. Once you get to phase three and four, it's bi weekly and then aftercare is once a month.
0: Okay. Yeah, we do, we do court biweekly. And then once they get to aftercare, they only have to come to one out of the two court sessions in a month. So that's a little different. Now, with our program, we leave a lot of the, um, the sanctions um, and arrest type things to the judge. Um, so let's say, you know, in, in my position, I'm able to put you on income monitor. As a probation officer, I can put somebody on income monitor. I can increase their reporting. I can do quick dips or I put them in jail for two to three days. Um, Let me see what else. I could mandate certain kind of different kind of treatments and things like that. But in drug court, what we try to do is we try to save all those things that a probation officer can do as a sanction for drug court. and We try to leave that for the judge to decide. Um, Is that kind of how your program is set
2: up? Yeah, we're pretty much the same way. The judge is the ultimate decider, I guess you would say. Um, there's something, so I'm the, since we're a small County, it's kind of, it's weird. So I'm the supervising probation officer for everyone in treatment court. And then I'm also the treatment court supervisor. So I run our entire team for treatment court. Um, so there's some violations where I can put them on that sanction without approval from the judge, whether it be like GPS or, um, um, scram alcohol monitoring, stuff like that, um, but the big sanctions um, delaying their phase, move update, um, putting them in jail unless it's like an immediate danger to themselves or others, we kind of leave that to the judge to decide what the final punishment's going to be there.
0: and of course, you guys have the um, the, the software sanctions like write essays, um, we don't really do t- we don't really do too much community service in drug court. Um, don't let write an essay or have them participate in a small team meeting or increase the number of NA or AA meetings they have to go to. You guys do those kind of soft things too?
2: Yeah. So our big ones are, um, they have mandatory community service in phase one and two that they have to do anyways, but they can get some community service added, um, extra writing assignments, um, have their phase move update dropped back, um, or they could potentially restart that, um, increased treatment stuff like that um, so yeah we, we definitely do those which um, a lot of officers that aren't in the treatment court field kind of look at those type of sanctions and are like why aren't you putting them in jail why aren't you doing this and it's um, if you if you're not in treatment court it's kind of hard to understand why we don't just put them in jail right away for a relapse or even two or three relapses so
0: yeah exactly exactly I have the same conversation with our other officers who just don't understand. What drug court is, um, but it's that team approach that um, is really the best thing because we get to really envelop that offender with a support system that they wouldn't normally have. Um, so, I, so in my so where I'm at, we have we actually have a drug treatment court coordinator, which mm-hmm. her job is to facilitate everything that goes on in drug court. Um, she facilitates the um, you know setting up the hearings, um, making sure the offenders have their treatment, referring them to different programs. Um uh the drug court does their own drug screens that are separate from probation. So um I don't really right now with the Rona we're not really doing too many drug screens but we can. So um they do mouth swabs, we do urine tests. Um so they kind of use me more as like hey, we have our suspicions or um you know, if I see them and if something seems off, then I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um but normally they have to do a color call drug screens where every day they have to call a phone number, they're, they're assigned a different color, and if it says they're colored, then they have to come in and do a drug screen that day or drug court. Um, then we have um, we have representatives from the treatment treatment programs. Um, so we have I think two or three different treatment programs in our county. They all have representatives. The defenders can choose which program they want to go to. We do have one in-person program. Um, but a lot of fans don't really don't like that one because they have to travel to get there, which is not really super far, but you know, it's not as easy as virtual, you know, um, then we have, uh, the virtual programs that are available. Mm -hmm. So it is nice because they have that team of people that kind of surround them and are there to help them, whatever their struggles are in that moment. Um, and they have, you know, of course, their counselors are part of that treatment team too. So is that how you guys are set up because i know you said you're the, you're the also the supervisor for the program
2: yeah uh,
0: um whereas opposed to we actually have a separate position that just does that is the actual coordinator for the program
2: yeah yeah the, uh, we're so small that i kind of do both uh both of those jobs so um yeah we're set up pretty much the same way so our team's made up of the judge myself uh public defender um one of the sheriff's deputies Um, Our two treatment providers in the county are there. Um, And then we have human services, um, case management, um, two of uh, people from case management on the team as well. So uh, they definitely they definitely have support. So if they use them, there's um, really no excuse why they shouldn't be successful. It's just getting them to to use all the supports and remain sober is sometimes the challenging part.
0: I agree. That's definitely the hardest part is getting them to uh, get sober because normally once you get them clean, it kind of seems like everything else just falls into line because mm-hmm. um, then all the good things start happening and then that reinforces their sobriety and then more good things keep happening and then it reinforces the sobriety more. Um, you know, they start getting a better relationship with their family, um, you know, jobs start calling them back, um, or you know, the housing stabilizes. Uh, their relationship with you as their probation officer stabilizes where you don't need, you don't feel really need to really be popping up on them as much as you know you might be if they were messing up um and then things like I said just kind of fall into line so i mean drug court that 's the tricky part about drug court is getting them clean because it's not like they always come clean right out right, right when they get sentenced to drug court um even if they did a, they did a period of time in jail pre uh pre sentencing um normally they get out of jail and go use. Mm-hmm. And then we got to try to clean them back up. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's a tough road, but uh, it's a good program and it can be definitely be very rewarding. What are your numbers? How many do you have in the program?
2: Uh, currently we just had a whole bunch of people graduate. So I think we're right about 10 people right now. Okay. Uh, our, our max is <laughs> 25.
0: <laughs> okay. I think I have about, I have about 20 on the streets right now. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good.
1: Matt, how long have you been in, in that role currently?
2: Uh, so I've been with my department six and a half years almost. Uh-huh. Um, so probably I took over maybe five or six months into it. So about six years. Oh,
1: dang. That's a long time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you
0: got a lo- longer drug court time than I do.
2: Yeah. yeah. Do you think that
1: things have changed over the years as far as like, The drug court program itself, has anything been made better? Have you contributed to anything being being more, I guess, I don't know, with the times? Because, you know, things change over time. So have you helped in building drug court? Did you help?
2: Yeah. So after I got hired, um, I actually worked with our team to get us accredited. Um, So in Pennsylvania, I'm not sure if um, where you are they uh, have a, an accreditation process. But in Pennsylvania, you can go through this long application process um, with the state to be accredited. Um, so I think it was 2016 when we went through that, and um, we got the program accredited. Um, when I first started, we didn't have a uh, random drug test system, so I implemented that. Um, it was originally called called Call to Test, but they just changed their name. I think they're now um, Community Complier, Community Connect or something like that. But um, So we have everyone calling in for that um, I am in the process of getting a facility dog for our program. So, um, I was approved and everything, just waiting for a dog to be trained. Um, but so, um, as soon as that gets trained, I'll be a facility dog handler and that'll come to treatment court with me as well as help it. Um, different court hearings throughout our, our courthouse as well.
0: Tell us, tell us more about that. What exactly is a facility dog? What does that entail?
2: Sure. So, so facility dogs kind of like a therapy dog, um, but they're, they're two different things. So facility dog is a dog that's graduated from an, incre- an accredited organization um, and it helps assist victims, children um, offenders in the recovery with like drugs, alcohol, mental illness and stuff like that. Um, so where it's different from a therapy dog is um, a therapy dog could be anyone's animal. So anyone can get their dog through the, the training to be a therapy dog Um, Whereas a facility dog before I get it, it goes through two years of training. Um, And then when I'm going to, when I finally get my dog, I'll have to go down for like two, two and a half weeks of training to learn the commands for the dog and stuff like that. Um, Where they kind of different is a therapy dog. um, There's only so many hours that they can work. I think best practices or standards are that they can only work for a couple hours at a time. Whereas a facility dog doesn't have that time constraint. So they, it'll be there with me all day during work. Um, If we have to go do stuff after hours, then it can do that. There's no time limit. Um, They can also work independently of the handler as well. So um, a therapy dog always has to be on the leash and always has to be on um, line with the handler, whereas a facility dog can work independently. So um, we're going to use it hopefully with like juvenile cases and um, stuff like that in the courthouse. And then it's also going to be used with our treatment court offenders as well. Um, It's been shown through a whole bunch of research that dogs really do assist with helping people open up more when they come to their appointments. Um, I don't know if either of you have dogs or not, but just, um, just dogs are, are, have that special personality that allows people to open up so much better than with, with them not being there. So they're going to help with our treatment court and anyone in probation who comes down and feels like they can open up better or whatever with, with a dog there, it'll be be used for that as well.
1: How much does that dog cost?
2: So, um, (laughs) (laughs) the dog we're getting is $5,000. Um, the original place that I wanted to get it through that denied us, it was free. Um, so a lot of the dogs that you get through accredited organizations, um, are either free or the cost is not all that bad. Um, there's a place here in Warren County that is not accredited and they charge $25,000 for the dog. (laughs) Um, so, it It really depends, but like I said, most of the accredited places are not all that expensive. I'd say somewhere between five or ten thousand dollars would be the average cost um and then aside from that, obviously paying for me to go down to the training the hotel and food and cost um and stuff like that so they're they're definitely not cheap, but they're not not as expensive as um I originally thought they were going to be.
1: Are you gonna be the one taking care of these dogs?
2: yep, so I'll be the primary handler and then um we'll find a secondary handler for the county that'll Um, if I'm ever out of town for like training or something like that, or vacation or, um, get tied up in something else then the secondary handler can also, um, use the dog as well. So it's going to stay at your house. Yep. Yep. It'll be with me. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. Was this your idea? What was that? Was this your idea to get it? It was. So
2: I can't remember how I first found out about it, but, um, I think I was reading a news article and it, it talked about another County in Pennsylvania that had a facility dog. Um, I was like, that'd be great. It would be awesome to have a dog around the County to help with like, um, victims and help our treatment court people. Um, so I, I originally pitched it to my chief and he's like, yeah, if you want to present that to the commissioners and the judges go for it. I don't know if they'll go for it or not, but you can try. Um, so I got a whole bunch of research together. I, I started doing this now it's probably been two and a half, three years. Um, but I got all the information together. I actually paid for myself to go to Seattle and went to the international facility dog conference that they hold out there just to talk to other dog handlers and get a better sense of what the dogs do and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I went out to Seattle, went to that. Um, when I came back from that, it was that February. So it'd have been 2018, I believe. Um, I did the presentation for our, um, two judges and our commissioners and. Um, they love the idea and gave me the approval to, um, to get the dog. So, like I said, the first place that I, I applied would have been free. Um, but because they're free, they have so many people applying for it. They can only accept so many people. And we ended up getting denied for that. Um, so where I ended up going through is a place in Pennsylvania called Susquehanna service dogs. Um, and they approved us. I had my, uh, actual interview with them this past April, Um, which normally would have been done in person down there at their facility, but because of COVID and everything I had to do it via zoom. Um, But got, got approved through that. Um, Ended up getting funding for the $5,000 for the dog through our canine, uh, our County canine program. Um, And now I'm just on the wait list for one to finish training and then I can go down and pick it up. So when I uh, did my interview in April, they said it would be about a year to at most a year and a half till the dog was ready. So, Hopefully anytime now I'll get an email from them or a call and they'll let me know that one's ready, but i um, just kind of patiently waiting for that time to come.
0: I have so, I have so many follow-up questions. So many, bear with me here. Sure. Okay. So I'm still, I'm still trying to understand exactly what does this dog do that it needs two years worth of training? Like what exactly does it do? Since I understand a therapy dog, I've seen those before, like especially like in hospitals and stuff. But yeah, what exactly is you, this dog specifically supposed to do?
2: So if if a victim needs it, so we're going to use it for kind of a, a few different things. But if a victim would need it to testify, um, it can sit in the courtroom with the victim underneath that stand that they sit at. Um, so it's got to be able to sit still and not move, not bark, not do anything like that for trials can take hours. So they're especially trained to um, kind of just chill out and, and relax for however long you need them to do that. Um, they also have different commands, um, which I, am not really sure what a whole ton of them are yet. Um, I'll learn those once I go down and do the two and a half week training, but, um, there's different commands to have them like put their head on, um, the person's lap and and different stuff like that. So, um, but the big thing is they, they need to be trained so that if they are used in a courtroom setting, that they're not going to be disruptive.
0: Okay. Second question is, are they providing you with a, a special county vehicle to transport this dog in?
2: They are not. So it doesn't. it's not like a police drug or bomb detection dog where it has to be in a cage or something like that. It can um, just kind of ride in the car in the backseat like a normal family dog. Um, so I'm not going to get a special vehicle or anything. We have like six or seven vehicles that are assigned to our department for just us to use. So... Um As far as I know right now, to just be whatever vehicle's available is what vehicle I'd take to transport the dog, but I'd love to have my own vehicle, but they're the uh canine vehicles that have like the special cages, and that are like eighty thousand dollars, so I don't think the county's gonna gonna pay for that, but we don't need one for for this type of dog
0: and why- why facility dog like when you first told me this, and that's why it's important that you know kids kids listening don't assume things. Because <laughs> when when, when uh, off the record, me and Matt were talking. He told me about this facility dog. In my mind, I had a totally different um, idea of what this dog was going to be. Um, in my mind, I don't know if you follow K9 Riley on uh, Instagram. He's actually a uh, drug. De- I think a drug and am- uh, firearm detection dog. That does. Pr- that's a probation dog out of California. Okay. Um, sadly, I don't know his, his handler's name. Um, but I find if you, he's canine Riley on Instagram, if you guys want to look him up and, um, you know, kind of seeing that part of probation, which is probably more like a nine or a 10 on a scale where that the probation department actually has a canine. It's not a, he's not like one of those aggressive, like, you know, Belgian Marwars or whatever kind of dogs, but you know, he's one of those dogs that, uh, they detect, uh, they're trained to detect, I think he does firearms. Because I know he's always finding guns and ammunition, and he's also finding drugs. Um, so he's like a dual train for those two different kind of odors. Um, mm. But he's not like one of those. He's not like a patrol dog, where the k where like police canine units are, where they're patrol dogs they can you know you know go ahead and sick them, lassie, you know, go ahead and bite. He's not that kind of dog. But like I said, his nose is what gets him, you know, finds him what he needs to find. So when I, when you first told me that you, about this facility dog thing, that's what I was thinking. Because like at our at our jail and our courthouse. We have signs that say that they have a silly dog, but it's more like a canine dog where it detects bombs, I think, firearms and things like that, and it goes around the jail and the, and the, courth- and the courthouse to make sure nobody's leaving, suspicious packages and things like that. Mm-hmm. So like I said, in my mind, that's what I was thinking, and then now you're telling me this, I'm kind of like, mind blown. Um, <laughs> is it is it something that you think your department wouldn't go the other way and look for a more uh, dual-purpose detection dog? Or do you particularly think that on the therapeutic side, the facility dog it would be more beneficial to you guys? Because I'm thinking when you're thinking drug court and you were telling me we we're doing drug court, I'm thinking, man, you're out there with a the dog going through people's houses looking for drugs. That's that's what I'm thinking. I'm yeah, like, That'd be cool. But I don't want to work with that kind of dog
2: personally. But no, no. <laughs> so I, I would love to do that. If I could be a canine handler, I'd I'd love to do that for that type of dog. Um, our county actually already has two dogs that are. Um, drug detection dogs, as well as they can um, track people down as well. So we already kind of had that void filled. Um, The one works for one of the police um, departments around here, the Kanawango Police Department. And then the other canine handler works for our sheriff department already. Um, So we we already have two dogs in our county that do the same purpose. Um, So this was just kind of another void, I guess, that has never been filled, um, that I just thought would be really beneficial for our County to have. Um, and just something that not a lot of people I don't think n- have ever heard of a facility dog or kind of know what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was looking at other departments, um, and other treatment courts and that in the state that do have uh, facility dogs, cause there's, um, a good amount in Pennsylvania that have some, but they seem to be all down in like the Philadelphia area. Um, so up our way in the state, there's, I, I don't think there's any, um, so, yeah, just when I, when I first found out about it, I thought it would be something that would be beneficial to the county um, and beneficial to our department, just fill a, fill a void that we don't that we don't have.
1: Um, what kind of dog is it? Did I miss that
2: part? No, you didn't. Um, so oh. they told me it would be either a retriever, a lab, or a mix of the two. So um, the dogs that they pick out, they pick kind of the opposite of, like, the drug detection dog. They look for dogs that have a low play drive. Um, that'll just kind of let you sit there and pet him and relax and chill out.
0: How how would you use the dog with like drug court? Is it something where the dog comes in, your friend or sister and pets him and it opens up his whole life story to you?
2: Yeah. So we'll use them for like appointments. Um, when they come in and meet with me, the dog will be there and they can pet the dog uh, and hopefully get him to, to open up more and, and relax. Um, then it'll also come up to our weekly, uh, court hearings up at the courtroom and it'll go around and. Um, interact with the the participants that way as well.
0: How many of your offenders do you think are going to be thinking this is a drug dog and it's going to be <laughs> in their mind?
2: I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. I I know when I first uh, started looking into this, i had asked a bunch of people in our in our treatment court program at the time what they thought of the idea of having a facility dog, and I don't think there's one person that said that they wouldn't want the dog. They're we all super excited, and we're like when are we going to get it? Are we going to have it like next week? Um, so I know it's definitely asking the participants. They're definitely for it. Um, everyone in, in my department super supportive of it and, and are excited to have a dog. Um, cause I mean, it, studies have shown as much as it helps the participants and, and, um, and all that kind of stuff, it also is a benefit for everyone that's working with the dog on our side. Um, as far as all my coworkers and and everyone else in the courthouse. So it definitely, uh, it definitely will impact a a lot of people. How old are you? I'm 29.
1: Okay. You look 29. You look young. (laughs) 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 That's what I was trying to say. Like he looked young. He had all this experience. That's pretty dope. You know, I might put that in the podcast. Do you mind?
2: No. Yeah. Not a problem.
1: A lot of people want to know, like, am I too young? Am I too old? Blah, blah, blah. They ask age questions all the time.
2: Yeah. It's, it took a little bit to get used to because when I first started, I was 23, I think, maybe 24. I'm pretty sure it was 23. And then supervising people that are like 60 <laughs> um, is kind of a weird <laughs> dynamic. And now, I mean, it, it doesn't phase me at all. It's just I'm used to it. Right. Um, but yeah, when you first start, when you're that young and you're supervising people that are like 20, 30, 40 years older than you, it's a bit, it's a bit weird, but it's, you get used to it and you just have to do your job.
1: And they always bring it up, too. They're like, oh, you're young enough to be my daughter. Okay, so.
2: <laughs> I used to get that all the time. I'm more yeah. to pick you to jail, though. Yeah. <laughs>
1: right. Yes. They just couldn't let it go. I don't know why.
0: So, Matt, what do you think about the podcast?
2: It's interesting. So I've listened to, uh, I think pretty much all of them. And um, I actually showed my coworkers a podcast too, and I told them that I was going to be on it. And they uh, started listening to it as well and thought it was super interesting. So, oh, thanks. Yeah. So it's, it's nice. Cause a, there's, a, a lot of people, I think, don't, they overlook probation and parole. And um, to have somewhere where you can talk about it and people kind of can understand a little bit better what we do as a, as a job um, is, is super interesting.
1: It kind of blows my mind that there's so many people in the system or, or on probation or parole, but still a lot of people don't understand what it is that we do. Yeah. That exactly. it doesn't make sense to me. And
0: yeah. We're, that, we're the redhead stepchild. You know, they, they really don't understand it. Some people think we're social workers. Some of us are, right <clears throat> now. And then, you know, some of us are more towards the law enforcement end, like Matt. So, uh, you know, it depends. That's why we wear two hats. Definitely definitely appreciate you uh, telling your coworkers workers and uh, definitely trying to get us out there. Um, I mean, that's, that's the goal, is to really share this field with those that are already in it and those that want to get into this field. Because um, even talking to you, we both do drug court, but our programs are so different. Even though we're, they're both, they both have the same name and they're both working towards the same goal, the programs are different. So it just shows you that, you know, however you want to approach this job, um, you can be it. You know, if you want to be to more towards the Brittany end, you can do that. If you want to be more towards the Matt end, you can do that. Um, if you want different kind of specialty caseloads, you can do that too. Um and I mean there's there's way there's more specialty caseloads out there that we haven't even covered yet, like gang units and uh I know there's veteran court POs. Um uh we haven't had a juvenile probation officer on yet, so that's something we're gonna be working towards. Um And then definitely when you're on a parole side, they have different kind of units too. So uh, that's our goal. uh, Hope we're achieving that. We appreciate your support. Sure. Uh, Do you have any questions for me, Brittany?
2: uh, The only thing I thought about, do you guys, either of you, use uh, drug patches at all for monitoring drug use?
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. they used to do that in my county. Well, they still do.
0: No, we don't. Um, We do, the drug court does the mouth swabs. Okay. Um, and then we do uh, urine analysis. Okay. Uh, the little, little dipsticks.
2: Okay. Um, we just started using the drug patches mm, two years ago, maybe. Um, so they're still fairly new for us, but they're uh, they're real handy. I like them a lot.
0: Tell tell, uh, tell the people more about the drug patches.
2: So a drug patch, it gets put on the persons. Uh, you can put it like on their arm, on their shoulder blade, lower back. Um, and it, it kind of looks like one of those nicotine stop smoking patches that people put on. Um, but it has a little, uh, patch in there that you wear the patch anywhere from like, um, a couple weeks to a month. Um, and it just absorbs your sweat as you sweat naturally throughout the day. Um, once you remove it, you send it into a lab and they analyze it. And if you've used any drugs, um, the drugs get, um, excreted through the, the sweat enzymes and collected in that patch. So it, uh, it's. Basically a twenty four seven drug test for two weeks or a month. How,
1: how do yeah, you, our fenders uh, yeah. would change it every ten days. They would okay. go get a new patch.
2: Yeah, it's weird. So some people like we can leave it on for a month and it looks brand new, and other people I have them in every single week to get it changed. So it's interesting how some people's body chemistry it works really well with, and some people it just it hates to stay on them. Hmm. So how
0: do how, how do your how do your fenders uh, take to that?
2: Um, a lot of them like it because. It, Surprisingly, or not, a lot of people don't like having to come in for drug tests um, and having to pee in front of someone. So I think a lot of them like it just because it's it's on their arm; they can kind of forget about it, um, and then it's it's a constant reminder when it's on them that they can't use drugs. Um, obviously, there's the people that mess with them and try to they'll take them off or try to tamper with it. But um, for most of them, they I think they appreciate it um, being just like a twenty four seven monitor for them.
0: How do, I, I just feel like I feel like we had that here. I just feel like the public defender would try to find some loophole or complain about that.
1: They would complain about everything, though. I mean, that's,
0: that's, what, that's what public defenders do. That's their yeah. job. Our job is to try to counter that because they can put up some very persuasive arguments to a judge that might want to have an open ear. Yeah. Um, have you had any public defenders challenge
2: that? We have because the offenders challenged it, so the drug patches at least that we used have been tested and put through. They're, they're able to be used for like federal jobs and stuff like that. So they're they've been scientifically backed and studied, and, and they're legit. Um, so we've had people that have tried to say like, I didn't use. I was sleeping with my boyfriend who used meth, and he touched me, and that's how. Um, I became positive or they've, I've heard pretty much every excuse you could hear for why some a, a drugs got in your serious. system, a, a whether serious. it's bodily fluids or whatever. Yes. Um, oh. it's, it's just, that's not, that's not how it works. It's scientifically proven. It's gets sent to a lab and the scientists will certify that it's, it's in your system because you use drugs. Um, so I've had, I think at least one court hearing, there might've been a second one where it's gone um, far enough. where at the revocation hearing for that person. We had to have a scientist. Um, be brought in to testify that these are the results. The person tested positive for A, B, and C because they used it. It's in the drug patch. The drug patch is legit, um, and there's no there's no way around it. So, yeah, people try to try to get around that all the time. And most of them, after they've they get put in jail and sit there for a little bit, they'll admit, like, yeah, I, I was just trying to get out of it. I did use and just didn't want to go to jail.
1: I want to do like a compilation video of all the excuses that different POs have heard. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be so funny.
2: <laughs> There's some good ones. People put in a lot of thought to some of their excuses. Yeah, yeah. that'd be a good idea, Brett.
0: <laughs> uh, you have any, You have any crazy probation stories?
2: Well, I've had to run someone down through a river before. So we that. we tried uh, assisting juvenile with a uh, a juvenile person. Uh, it was the day before this happened, and we couldn't find her. I guess she had she was home for a home pass from a placement. Mm-hmm. and uh ran away so we were trying to find her and the next day i had that to happens, run. That happens a lot yeah i'm i'm sure so the next day i went into the office for something else and um heard the call over the radio that they thought they had spotted the juvenile so i went and assisted city pd who was trying to to get the juvenile um, and when she saw she started to run <laughs> um so she ran towards a, a river that goes through town and um myself and another officer got to the got to the bank and she was maybe a third of the way through the river. Um, he's trying to like get off his duty belt and all that kind of stuff. And I just have my external carrier. So I'm like, well, I can just rip this off real quick. Do you want me just to go in after her? And he's like, yeah, that would be great. So I ended up diving in and chasing her down through that. And that was uh, that was pretty interesting. Um, ended up getting her and then she ended up going back to placement. And then other than that, I mean, the other week we had uh, an incident where someone came in for a drug test and he provided us a false urine um, so the officer that got the, the drug test was going to have him come back to our offices. So right now because of Corona, we have to use the bathrooms that are outside of our offices. They don't want to bring us bring him back into the office to use the bathroom that we use. Um, so he is walking him from there towards our door. and there's an exit in our in our office. We're in the basement of the courthouse. there's an exit to go outside. Um, and you can see on the video, he's walking towards our door to go back into our office and all of a sudden he just takes a quick right and darts out of the out of the office so it just happened to be as he took off and the officer that was getting the drug test started to run after him i was letting someone out of our office and saw that and um ended up getting in a foot pursuit with him and um the other officer that was chasing him unfortunately uh he ran through a street and caught his toe on like the curb or something like that and fell um oh, and ended wow. up hurting his hip pretty bad But I ended up catching up to him and having to tackle him, and I I tackled him. (laughs) I hit him pretty hard. It was like a full speed sprint. Um, It was a court day, so we both had our firearms on us, but neither of us had uh, handcuffs on us. So we kind of just had to pin him to the ground, and he was not being cooperative. So the one officer kind of had control of his upper body, and I had control of his lower body. Um, We just had to wait till someone walked by and had them. We flagged him down and had them call city PD and within two or three minutes after that, a swarm of them came and uh, backed us up and we ended up getting him in cuffs and he ended up being, he was high on meth, but that was, that was the only foot pursuit I've been in so far, but it was. uh, So what,
0: what did he, what violations did he face? And did he face any new charges?
2: I think they, they did give him new charges. Um, Disorderly conduct, I believe was what they charged him with. Um, I know they were originally going to try to charge him with escape um, because he, he was in our custody and then ran, um, but I guess the DA didn't want to pursue that charge. So um, he got he got the – I think he only got the disorderly conduct, and then the charges that he was on, he got revoked on that. Um, and I think they actually charged him with providing a false urine as well because um, that's an mm-hmm. ungraded misdemeanor or a misdemeanor theory yeah. in Pennsylvania.
0: All right, Matt, we appreciate you for uh, being a family member in a Two Hats podcast. We appreciate your time today. Uh, I think we dropped a lot of knowledge for a fam- for other family members out there. Um, So as you're talking about drug court, I learned a lot about a facility dog. because That's definitely not what I thought it was. Uh, So we wish you the best of luck with that. And I'm pretty sure once you get your dog, you'll uh, definitely give us some pictures so we can put those up and share those with the rest of the community. Um, Do you you get to wear like a canine shirt? No. Find nothing cool like that, huh?
2: I don't know. I haven't thought about that yet. (laughs) 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 I think we kind of get control over what – like our shirts and stuff like that. So I could potentially make one if I wanted to. So uh, that'll be a bridge that I cross once we get to that point.
0: I'm telling you, I can't wait for the first time we bring a dog into court. They're, all the, all the defenders are gonna be like, Oh no, Oh no, it's a drug <laughs> dog. A drug dog. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're like, no, it's a facility dog. It's, 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 it's nice. They're like, no, nah, I don't trust it. <laughs> uh, but again, we, uh, we thank you for coming on today. We thank you for your time. Um, and, uh, so you make sure you're safe out there, okay? Absolutely. Chasing people through
2: <laughs> Yes, I appreciate it. Thanks.
1: Once again, I want to thank Matt for joining us on the podcast today. He taught Chris and I a whole bunch, especially about this uh, dog that he has coming to the team. I know Chris wants one secretly, don't you, Chris?
0: No, nah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I got my little uh, 13-pound dog. I'm happy with him. I don't know what I'm going to do with a bigger dog that does anything else.
1: <laughs> so, family, go ahead and tap in in the comments. Let us know if you guys have some type of service dog like that in your area or if you'd be interested in something like that don't forget to follow us at the two hats podcast instagram account also we are uploading episodes every wednesday to youtube spotify and anchor fm in case you guys want to just listen over over the car over the web it doesn't matter we're here for you. you guys have a good evening